Well, hey church, it's great to have you here with us again. I hope you're well. Hope you had a fantastic week. And right now you are ready to lean in and to hear from the Word of God, to hear what He's got to say to each and every one of us today. I'm excited for this morning. I hope you are too. But before we get into it, why don't we just pray? Father God, we thank you that you are awesome. We thank you for your love and grace that you pour on us in abundance. And we pray this morning, today, that as we delve into your word, as we study part of the Jesus story, that that you will draw us close to you. And as we draw close to you, you will transform us more and more into your likeness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So last week, if you were with us, we began a brand new series called The Kingdom. Jesus spent most of his life here on earth, his his ministry, talking about, demonstrating and ushering in the kingdom. And so, you know, we felt that it was good to just spend a few weeks asking ourselves the questions, what is the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? How do we seek first the kingdom of God? And so we're going to be spending some time unpacking this idea of the kingdom. But today I want to speak to you under the title of the upside down kingdom, the upside down kingdom. You know, we were talking last week about God being a God of small beginnings, about how even from something as small as a mustard seed, there is this hidden potential that can then grow and flourish into something that is is visible to the world and even attractive and drawing people, people closer to God and into his presence. And then out of that comes the transforming power of the kingdom. You know, Jesus himself came from small beginnings, we said, that, you know, he was born in a manger in a small town in Bethlehem. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for arrived, but he wasn't recognised because he was this unexpected man who didn't look like or act in the way that they expected him to. Even John the Baptist, who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus, even he struggled to recognise him. He struggled to recognise the type of Messiah, the type of saviour that Jesus came to be. It says that he asked of Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? He asked this question because Jesus was doing things that he doesn't expect him to do. And he was not doing things that John expected Jesus to do. You see, John expected this Messiah who who would come and, and baptize with fire. That means that the Messiah would come and judge the world, not in the future, but right now when he arrives. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't come to judge the world. He says, I am here to announce God's favour. You know, in scripture, we see that that in the temple, Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah 61 and he begins to read this portion of the Old Testament 
Testament. But what you'll find is as he reads that scripture, he stops just before the announcement of vengeance. He reads, I have come to proclaim the Lord's favour. But that passage then goes on in the next line to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. But he doesn't read that bit. He just focuses on proclaiming the Lord's favour. So even John struggles to recognise Jesus because he was this unexpected man. He wasn't living up to the expectations that people had for him. He didn't walk, he didn't talk, he didn't act in the way that people expected. And you know, something that I believe that we need to wrestle with is the same thing that, that, John, that, same thing that John wrestled with at the time of Jesus. And that is just to let Jesus be Jesus, to let him be who he came to be, not to to make him the, the version of Jesus that we expected him to be, not for him to be the Jesus who fits into our world and our culture and our lifestyle, but simply to let Jesus be Jesus. And that's something that we need to wrestle with as well. So You know, much of what Jesus talked about, much of what he he did and he said, it seemed upside down. You know, it seemed backwards. It seemed totally like he'd flip things on its head. But the reality is that Jesus didn't come to turn the world upside down. He came to turn the upside down world the right way up. You see, he wasn't upside down as we can read in the scriptures, he was the right way up. It's us that are backwards, that are upside down, that are, are wrong in our thinking. Jesus came into the world to, you know, when he taught us to love our enemies, he said that we should do good to those we hate. He flipped the world upside down by saying things like, the greatest will become servants, the first will be last, the humble will be exalted. living a life in line with Jesus isn't supposed to fit into our culture. It's not supposed to fit into our world because, because the way of Jesus is countercultural. It's an upside down, inside out kingdom where weakness is power, where power is weakness and suffering leads to glory. You see this This upside down world that Jesus taught and lived, it forces us to look deeper, to walk further and to focus inward. So this, you know, the idea of of grace, it doesn't fit in with the mould of our culture, does it? It doesn't fit into the way we know things because it's it's this concept of unmerited favour. And that kind of idea of unmerited favour is in direct opposition to everything that our culture, that the world, that the media teaches us. It just, it doesn't quite sit comfortably, does it? So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this idea of the upside down kingdom that Jesus taught. And we're just going to look at one parable that he, he taught that speaks into this and it's found in Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning 
to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. And so he said to them, You go in the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So he begins this parable, this, this story about uh, these labourers in the vineyard. He begins it, the kingdom of heaven is like. Once again, Jesus is painting for us a picture of what his kingdom looks like, his rule, his reign, his culture. And it's an amazing parable to read, but it's also confusing. It doesn't quite sit right with, you know, who we are in the world that we live in today. Let me just give you a little illustration, and I I think that the parents watching uh, will probably be able to relate. So our two boys, for the most part, they play really nicely together, and they both love Lego. And they've got super imaginations and they get so creative in their play. So they can create this world and this storyline and play along together happily, you know, sometimes for hours at a time. And, you know, as a parent, when you're sitting down and you're getting that moment's peace and then you look at the time and you think that you've not seen the kids for a while and it all seems awfully quiet Maybe a little too quiet. And so, you know, you go and check on them and see what's, what's going on. And, and, oh, actually, they're playing just nicely. And, it, you know, as a parent, it's a real joy, isn't it, to, to see your kids getting along. And, you know, this often happens in our household. They'll be playing nicely in another room. But then out of nowhere, bam, something's happened. 
there's banging, there's crying, someone's screaming at the other, and it sounds like World War Three is breaking out. So we, we rush in to see if someone has been hurt. But no. Instead, it turns out that, that Caleb has chosen to play with the exact Lego figure that Toby was just about to start playing with, or Toby has decided that Caleb's impenetrable force field in the game is not so impenetrable and that's not how the game is going to work for him and so they start this kind of argument and it explodes out of nowhere. I don't know, it's, it's usually something really random like that that they end up falling out over but you know one of them has wronged the other in some way and so they feel affronted, they feel hard done by. And so as a parent, we try to, you know, get to the bottom of what's really happened in this situation. Who has hurt who? Who has upset who? And then once we've kind of got to the bottom of that and made sure it's actually something that needs dealing with, then what we do is we try to encourage them, one, to apologise to the other. You've done something wrong, so you need to say sorry. So one says to the, the other, I'm sorry. And then the appropriate response is, I forgive you. That's how this this interaction works, isn't it? But but sometimes they're, they're just not quite ready to forgive. Whatever it is that's happened, whether it playing with Lego or whatever situation, whatever it is, is such a big deal that they want to just wait a little bit longer. To sit in that frustration and that anger for a little while before they're willing to forgive. Now, I'm not that petty, as you can understand. I know that an apology means to forgive and to forget and then to move on with your life. I definitely wouldn't hold anything against someone for days or weeks or longer because forgiveness is easy, isn't it? Okay, maybe not. But, you know, we can all be like this, I think. We can all act in this way, you know, we, we want people to, if someone's hurt us, we want them to feel our pain. We want them to spend some time and just kind of feel and, and suffer the consequences of their actions. And, you know, it's only when we feel like they deserve our forgiveness or maybe they've earned our forgiveness. It's only then do we give it to them. And because you know, we, we often kind of think of things in this way with our relationships and the life that we live with family and with friends. It's almost natural for us to then transfer that to our relationship with God. You know, we think with God in terms of, well, what do I deserve? What do I deserve from God? And so right now, I just want to give you a little warning that, you know, if we, tru- if we truly trust God. One of the most frustrating concepts that you can take into your relationship with God is thinking in terms of what do I deserve? What do I deserve? Because the truth of the matter is you really don't want to go down that alley. Because if you open that door, what we'll find is that truly what we really deserve is God's judgment. It's his judgment because all have fallen short of the glory of God. 
No one is better than the other. We all have messed up. But that's not the way of the kingdom of heaven. And that's the reason that Jesus stopped reading from that portion of Isaiah in the moment that he did, because he came to proclaim God's favour, not God's judgment. So from our passage today, we see this beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. As confusing to us as it may be, because it doesn't quite line up with our understanding of how the world works. And why is that? Because God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Or or as we've already said, his kingdom is the right way up and we live in this upside down kingdom right now. So what he's doing as he tells this story is he's flipping the world on its head. And you'll see through the scriptures he does this time and time again. So in this story, we've got the owner of the vineyard and he's gone out to hire labourers for his work. He's gone at various points of the day and called people to come and work on his vineyard. And, you know, so it comes to the end of the day and it's time to, you know, square up with them to make the payments to the workers for what they've done. And so he gathers them all together. And you can almost picture the scene, can't you? The foreman rounds up the workers, gather round. It's time to dish out your pay. You've worked hard. You're hot. You're sweaty. Come and get what you've earned for the day. And so the one who was hired last is perhaps trying to calculate, well, they're getting a denarius for working a whole day. What's that divided by 12? Then maybe that's what I'm going to get. And then the foreman says, hey, you guys who came in last, you guys who've worked for just an hour, you step forward. Here's your pay. And they look at this denarius and they're like, okay, this is not what I was expecting, but this is amazing. And you could probably feel the joy bursting out of them. But what happens and what's interesting is this, in this story is that the, the owner of the vineyard has paid them in reverse order to what would ordinarily happen. If he'd have just paid the first hires first, then they would have gone on their way happy as Larry with what was agreed. But instead, he did it backwards. And so they saw that those who had worked for an hour earned a whole denarius. And so they were probably thinking, okay, we're going to get paid. If they're getting one denarius for doing one hour, well, I'm not that good at maths, but I can do one times 12. We are going to get the big bucks today. But then... Then we see this scene and the foreman goes down the row of the people who have been hired and he begins to pay them each what the owner has told them. Those who were hired at 3 p.m., one denarius. Those who were hired at midday, they've worked six hours, one denarius. Then those who were hired at 9 a.m., one denarius. And then he gets to those who were hired at, what, 5, 6 a.m. They worked a full 12-hour day, one denarius. Is, is that it? Is this what I... But they, 
we worked 12 hours in the scorching heat. Most of the work was done before they even arrived on the scene. And this, this is what we get? That's it? Are you absolutely kidding me? It just doesn't seem fair, does it? But the reality is that the fastest way to get frustrated with God is to think in terms of what you deserve. You see, life isn't made up by what I deserve or what I've earned. I I prayed this much, I went to church this much, I tithed this much, I did all of this good. God, you owe me. No, that is not how this world works. That is not how the kingdom of God works. My relationship with God, it should be built on this this understanding that God, you can give me whatever you want because I know and I trust that whatever comes from you is right because you are wonderful and you are good and I trust you. Do you trust God? Even when decisions don't make sense, do you trust God? Because that's what he's calling us to, this this life of trusting him, this life free from keeping records of everything that we've done good in our lives, of keeping track of what it is that we deserve. He's calling us out of that bondage and into the freedom of a life, trusting in him. And do you know what else it sets us free from? Comparison. It sets us free from, you know, comparison because that's something that is rife in our culture today. You know, we're we're like the workers looking down the line to see what everyone else is getting or scrolling through our Instagram feed to see what everyone else is doing. We need to recognize that living in the kingdom of God is about being happy with what God has given to us. It's about contentment. You know, we can live a life of trust in God, but even sometimes it gets to the point in our lives, if we're honest, where we say, God, it's about time. I've waited long enough. But God calls us to a life of love and a life of ease and a life of peace and a life trusting in him. So maybe we need to just look inward a bit today and ask ourselves, what area of my life am I questioning God's decision in? Is it something financial or relational or emotional or physical? I don't know, whatever it is, try to recognise it in your life and speak it out. Release it, hand it over to God and trust in him. Because when we trust in God, that's when the freedom and the release of the kingdom of heaven comes into our life. So let's just jump right back to the beginning of this parable for a second. And he begins with the words, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus is describing here in this story, God's reign, his rule, his kingdom perspective on how the world should work. So this story should help us to understand and to get hold of a kingdom mindset. 
And then at the very end, he summarizes it with the words, the last will be first and the first last. So he's highlighting in this concluding remark, these two extremes from the story, those who are hired first and those who are hired in the final hour. But which of these two groups do you think found themselves frustrated? It was those who were hired first. And the reality is that they were the only ones that were hired with a a contract. He agreed with them for a denarius a day. They had this law-abiding agreement in place. So if you want to relate to God based on the law, you're only going to get worked up and frustrated pretty quickly. You see, those guys who worked a full day, they got blinded by this idea of what it is that they deserved, and they missed the joy and the privilege of the fact that they got the chance to work for a day. They were given the opportunity to earn some money in order to put food on their table and a roof over their heads. But I deserve more, they yelled. Let's not get caught up in or blinded by what we think we deserve. But instead, take the time to recognise that God loves us, that he blesses us, that we are honoured to be included in his family. And we have this security and peace and the hope that comes from living in his kingdom. Let's step away from and out of the upside down world that we find ourselves in. Because make no doubt about it, we live in a world that is upside down, that is the opposite to the way in which Jesus talked about. He taught and he lived the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to spend the next few weeks continuing to unpack this picture. But he, he demonstrated this, this kingdom that it just doesn't seem right to us. It doesn't seem natural to us. And that's because it's not. You see, we're called to be in the world and not of the world. That's because we are not of this world. We are of the kingdom realm. We are of the heavenly realm. And so we need to recognise these areas in our world, in our lives, in our culture, in which the world says one thing, but God says another. And we need to make the right choice. So I hope this morning has been encouraging to you. I hope that you, maybe you've been able to just take a step back and look inwardly into your life and recognise an an area perhaps that you are questioning God's decision in. An area where you've been looking down the line and saying, but but they got this and and they do this and, and look at how they're living. Don't worry about them. Don't think about them. Don't even look at them. Look to God. Recognize that he is a good, good father, that he loves you, that he wants to bless you, that he has got good things in store for you. You're not going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what God has got for you. 
And I believe and I know and I understand and recognize that what God has got for us is way better than what we deserve. Why don't we pray? So Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth that grace goes further. I pray that you will help us to step out of this upside down world and into the kingdom of heaven that helps us to to recognize that that we don't need to get what we deserve because what we deserve is judgment what we deserve is separation from you and we thank you for the privilege and the honor of being called into the vineyard being called into work with you being called into your family and getting what it is that you have got for us. We thank you that you are a God who wants to bless us abundantly. We thank you that you promise good things for us. We thank you that you have got a life filled with abundance that you are calling us to live in. And I pray that we will grasp hold of that truth today and walk in it and live in it and and live lives to the full in partnership with you. So we thank you for your love and your grace In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a great week.